Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 83 of the podcast. It's the 2nd of August, 2017, as I record this intro. And this week, I chat with Tammy Stroud. Tammy is an unschooling mom of six kids, ranging in age from 4 to 13. We have a really fun conversation about her family's move to unschooling, their journey to being a nomadic unschooling family, originally through circumstances and a sense of adventure, and now they're actively choosing it. Uh, We also dive into some great posts on her blog about hard work, grit, entitlement, rewards and punishment. And last but not least, she has some wonderful tips for unschooling with a large family. And just a quick reminder, if you'd like to submit a question for our Q&A episodes, just go to livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast and click on the link. We'll be recording the August Q&A episode pretty soon. As a personal update, things are relatively quiet around here. I'm spending much of my time trying to finish up my unschooling journey manuscript to get it to my editor in a week and a half. As well, I'm working on the online version of the Childhood Redefined Summit with Anne and Anna. The website has been updated with new information and you can sign up to the mailing list to stay in the loop. We sent out an update yesterday as we gear up for the fall launch. Yay! It's going to be a lot of fun. So you can check that all out at childhoodredefined.com. And I want to say thank you to everyone who has chosen to support the show on Patreon. And a big welcome to new patron, Lara Brothers. Thanks for joining us, Lara. And I deeply appreciate all of my patrons. You guys inspire me. And I love that you're helping me share unschooling information with anyone who wants to explore ways to live this wonderful lifestyle with their family. If you'd like to support the show, even for as little as a dollar a month, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And this week's quote is from Tammy. When you also think about the rewards and punishment in light of entitlement, that goes back to you condition people to only want to do a thing if they are getting some sort of benefit. You create this reward economy that you are paying for the behavior or the goodness you want rather than people just being good to be good and to freely give themselves. It was in that conversation around hard work, that series on her blog, where she dug into the question, do people do hard things even when they are not forced to do them? And it was such a clear explanation of how the conventional wisdom that you must reward children to do hard things backfires. Once you create that reward economy, of course they're going to come to expect the reward, to feel entitled to the reward. And now, on to the interview with Tammy. Hi everyone, I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Tammy Stroud. Hi Tammy! Hi! Hi, how are you? Good. That's good. 
Uh, I came across Tammy online and really enjoyed spending some time reading her blog. I was really fascinated by their adventures and wanted to learn more, so I was very happy when she agreed to chat with me on the podcast. Um, I'm really looking forward into to diving into uh, your unschooling adventures. So to get us started, Tammy, can you share with us a bit about you and your family and how you discovered unschooling? Sure, sure. Um, really excited to be here. So I have, uh, we have six children. We have four boys and two girls. They're currently ages 13 down to four. Um, we're an American family, and we're actually visiting in the U.S. right now, but we kind of, for the last seven years, have lived sort of a more nomadic, sometimes expat lifestyle. And our current expat home is in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Um, my husband works there as a head of libraries for a local private school. And we moved to that place uh, in the beginning of the 2015-2016 school year. And before there, our, our first place we moved to when we moved away from kind of suburban Atlanta um, was Alain United Arab Emirates. We lived there for three years, and the UAE, most people know it from Dubai, and we lived about an hour and a half outside of Dubai. And then after that, we lived in um, the native Alaskan Chupik village of Chibak, Alaska, and it's like this little tiny fly-in village. <laughs> uh, so... Um, we have we have a lot going for us for stuff to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, our family's Christian, and yes, we're Christian, living in a Muslim country. Um, I'm also, uh, in addition to kind of homeschooling and unschooling, I'm kind of passionate about fertility awareness and birth work. And so sometimes I, I'll work as a doula, childbirth educator, and also. Um, in Saudi Arabia, I've worked to kind of create a group to um, help women learn fertility awareness. And so that's kind of my other side interest. And then with homeschooling, um, like when I moved to Riyadh, I ended up taking over their local um, home educators of Riyadh Facebook group when the previous admin was leaving the country. And so that's been kind of a, a fun work because, I mean, we have – and over there, like how unschooling is seen in the U.S., like that's how homeschooling is seen there. It's like this fringe crazy thing. So <laughs> we're, we're if we can, you know, get people not to give you the side eye for just saying homeschooling. <laughs> um, so let's see. And this is kind of on kind of a school year schedule. We're um, just finishing up or about to start. We're finishing up our seventh year homeschooling, about to start our eighth year. And then um, – with unschooling, it kind of our unschooling schedule follows kind of a more calendar year, and so we're kind of in the middle of our sixth year of intentionally unschooling. And let's see, I didn't really get to that's kind of an overview of who, who our family <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah. And um, I guess I can talk a little bit more about kind of how we got to um, homeschooling and unschooling. I guess. Yeah. No, that, that would be cool. Direct? Yeah. Okay. You could chat about um, how you discovered it, how you came across it, and and what your move, your family's move to unschooling looked like. Sure. Um. So, our our homeschool timeline kind of seems to match up with the, how long we've been sort of moving around and stuff like that. But actually, our family decided to um home start homeschooling before 
we even realized we were going to move. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my husband, obviously, he works in a school, and I actually have an education degree, and so we both kind of come from this um, traditional schooling background. And so, you know, before we had kids, we just kind of assumed, yes, our kids are going to go to school, and that's, that's that. And um, when I started having kids, I stayed home with my kids, and then it ended up, uh, I ended up working part-time at a, um, a local uh, Christian preschool And then they started like a primary school that was attached to the preschool. And so my oldest, my my young kids went there with me three days a week to the preschool. And then when they started the um, kindergarten and so forth, my oldest ended up going to the kindergarten. And for me, like the that should have been the perfect fit. They had like this small class size. I knew all the teachers. They were all really nice people. They shared our religious views. Like everything should have been like this perfect fit. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't. Uh-huh. And it, I mean, my, my, you know, little kindergarten little boy was coming home hating school. And I'm like, what, what is going on? What is wrong with this picture? And so for me, that kind of, set me searching like, okay, what are other people doing? What are, you know, what, what are other people finding that's working for them? And, and, you know, I was kind of exploring what are people that are doing homeschooling? What does it look like for them? And that sort of thing. And I also kind of concurrently, I had four kids at the time. I just had my fourth, I believe. And the other thing I was kind of noticing that year that Um, my oldest went to kindergarten was that I was kind of seeing how the the different schedules were going because like he went to school five days a week and then I worked three mornings a week and the little ones went with me three mornings a week and so like and it's not it wasn't even that busy of a schedule but I was already starting to see kind of down the pipeline of like all of us kind of going in different directions and just you know that kind of Mm -hmm. lifestyle and that's just not really what I wanted. I was like, (laughs) I didn't want to be, you know, constantly transporting people everywhere. That's just wasn't the rhythm of life I wanted. Yeah. That would be all Um, management, wouldn't it? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the next year, so anyway, that summer we knew that my, my husband was leaving the job he was at just, independent of my son going to kindergarten and not liking kindergarten. And we knew he would get, he was planning on doing another job. We didn't know what we just kind of, you know, every, you know, every time something had always kind of turned up and everything had worked out. So that's kind of how we were looking at it. Mm -hmm. And along with that, I was also thinking that the private school, little private Christian private school that my son went to did a homeschool co-op thing where they allowed students to go, homeschooled students to go part-time, you know, one or two or three days a week, and then to be homeschooled the other days. And so I said, well, thought, well, okay, maybe we'll try that, and maybe that will be a better fit for us. So that that was my plan going into, like, his first grade year. And then, you know, we get to kind of the end of July and the beginning of August, and nothing's really panning out as far as the job market and my husband sees this is so insane sees this <laughs> listing on craigslist for to teach abroad and when he sees it we just treat it like a joke we're like yeah we're gonna go to abu dhabi yeah <laughs> and, 
<laughs> so like he shoots off an email to them, just, you know, kicking tires, but not we're, neither of us are really taking it seriously. And then the recruiting agency ends up calling him. He ends up doing a little more research to realize they're legit, even though they're advertising on Craigslist. <laughs> and um, one thing led to another. And from like the beginning of August, where we had no inkling that we were going to move or anything like that, to at the beginning of September, our feet are on the ground in the United Arab Emirates in oh, Abu Dhabi. Wow. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, from from there, like from that big move, homeschooling just made a whole lot more sense to because I mean, like this, it's this huge change for your family. And so it just simplifies a lot of things. We're not looking for like this private school. And the only options over there for like um, for expats is to um, pay for an expensive private school and kind of go that route. If you're not homeschooling, there's no free public education for expats over there. So, you know, we're looking at, uh, we had four kids and I was pregnant with my fifth at the time. And so, yeah, that didn't make sense. And so even though like, we're kind of being pulled towards homeschooling. It's just everything's aligning where it makes a lot of sense for us to kind of give this a go. So we move and, you know, I, we decide, okay, we're going to do this homeschooling thing. And I had kind of been okay with a somewhat more relaxed homeschooling thing like we did like the five in a row thing where you read the books. And, you know, I, I, I still think that's kind of a, you know, if you're going to homeschool, it's a rather sweet curriculum. And I have good memories of our time doing that. But like, you know, I had this lovely, lovely schedule of like, we're going to do this in the morning, we're going to do this. And, mm -hmm. you know, five little kids, it just doesn't work out. <laughs> and so I kept like, I don't know, like for me, like I kept comparing like what I wanted with my reality. And I was like, okay, I gotta make, there's gotta be a way to make both these things fit. You know, I, I, you know, I want my children to be learning things. I want us to be peaceful. I want us to, you know, have this nice, happy home. And, you know, when I'm creating these schedules, it's just not working out that way. There's always this tension of not following the schedule and them not doing the work I want them to do and like all of that. And so that's kind of what sort of set me searching down the path of unschooling. And then two, just, just the whole craziness of life that, you know, it kind of plows over all your ideas of what homeschooling is going to be like. And then, you know, two or three months down the line, you're like, oh, I've only homeschooled like three days. <laughs> but then like you look at your kids and you're like, wait, we're still learning. They're still coming and talking to me about stuff and they're still, you know, picking up stuff here and there. And you're like, okay, what's going on here? And so you're, I don't know, I'm comparing like my real life experience with kind of what's going on and saying, well, this is still kind of working. And so that sort of, again, I'm just reading different people, their experiences and what they're saying they're doing and what, how they're defining it. And so basically we get to, I guess the, when was it? I don't know, about six years ago. <laughs> um, it was Christmas break and let's see, I had five kids at the time and my youngest was still a baby. And I remember talking to my husband about, um, 
that, okay, I want to give unschooling a try. I want to give it like a legitimate try, like not this sort of guilt thing of where we don't actually do anything and, you know, and then (laughs) that sort of thing. Like I want to like do this in earnest. And so I was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this for six months and kind of see where we are. And so, you know, we did six months and then it just sort of, the world didn't explode (laughs) and (laughs) it was fine. And, and I mean, there were like, for me, like with the trial thing, like I wanted to kind of stretch myself, I guess, and see kind of where in the realm of like academically unschooling, radically unschooling, like all of that stuff like where, where my tolerance level was, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so like, I really tried to kind of push myself to say yes, as much as I could. And that sort of thing, because I felt like, okay, we're going to try this. And it's not a forever decision. And we're gonna just see how it goes. And then I can always tweak it later if I want to. And for me, that that worked well, that gave me permission to kind of try a bunch of different things and not feel like, like this is like some forever decision. I'm going to ruin my kids or, you know, any of that stuff. It was just sort of, this is our experiment we're doing right now. And we're going to see where we, where we, where it goes. And, and that worked well for me. And that like, I don't know, gave me a lot more flexibility to, I don't know, say yes, I guess to different things. Yeah. That sounds really cool because I mean, at first you were noticing it was kind of happening almost by accident, right? Because you weren't having enough time to, uh, to homeschool more formally, but then that choice, you know, to do it in earnest for a while, give it that time and see what happens. I I love the way you described that, like choosing to do it purposefully, right? Right. Right. And, And do it as, as, um, well as you can so that you can really see what it's like, not like you said, you know, almost that almost doing it guiltily because that doesn't help you understand it better, does it? Right, right. That's really yeah, cool. you're always having the back of your head. Well, I should be. And, you know, and, and when you're for me, when I finally, you know, we're, like we're really doing this and this is what I'm choosing, then that kind of gave me a whole new frame of reference of, I don't know, sort of empowerment. And this is what we're doing. And my kids are learning. And, you know, we're, <laughs> I don't know, the the choice of doing it was good, a good thing for us. Yeah, no, I think that's huge. And, and I think it helps because when we um, started as well, we said, you know what, we'll try, we'll try it out for a year, you know, like a, like a school year kind of deal, because uh, the kids left um uh, what were grades four two and and junior kindergarten so you know they left in March break and we kind of took the summer and then and that's when I discovered unschooling and it's like you know what let's try this earnestly is is a great word for it you know I'm going to learn as much as I can about it and and I'm going to really put my heart into it and see what happens and you know we can always uh, change our mind later and or tweak it as you said but I think giving it a good chunk of time because it's not something that you can understand and and really delve into in a short amount of time but six months to a year I think um, that that really helps take the pressure off it and let you dive in without worrying right because you know that you can always change things up as you go along and learn more right yeah that's really helpful um, you, 
uh, have mentioned that your nomadic lifestyle. So I'm curious to know. So you moved for that uh, one particular job. So from there, um, as you, what what did your kind of choice uh, look like to start to not move back at the end of that job, but to start moving around? So I'm wondering what inspired that, and to just talk a bit about where you guys have lived so far and what that's been like. Right. So, right. In the beginning, you know, we're moving there for a job and it was a two year contract and we just kind of thought, okay, we're just, we're going to do the two years. You know, you can do anything for just a little bit amount of time and we'll be done and we'll slip back into our suburban Georgia life. And then at the end of two years, you know, we're, you know, we hadn't really admitted to ourselves that we kind of really want to do, keep doing this, but <laughs> You know, it was like, well, okay, maybe we'll just do one more year, just one more year. And then at the end of that year, just a random connection. Um, my husband had, uh, while he was over there, finished up um, getting uh, his media specialist certification and all that stuff. And somebody um, shot him an email of this job in remote Alaska, as again, as a joke, and said, oh, I found you a library job. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the and the same kind of way, you know, my husband shoots off an email to the person posting the job listing and, you know, immediately they're like, call us back. We want to get in touch with you. And so, and again, like one thing led to another and we were like, let's just do this. Let's just, you know, see what it's like. And, uh, you know, and, and that kind of moving to Alaska kind of solidified that we really like this, uh, um, experience of living in this in foreign places and experiencing the foreign culture and just getting to I don't know see life that way and yeah and I know Alaska is technically not you know an expat location for us because we're American but the where we lived in Alaska was by far the most foreign place I've ever lived (laughs) (laughs) it I mean, it was this tiny native Alaskan village and it's not on the road system. Like you can only get there on these little planes and the little planes seat 10 people and we're a family of eight. And so, yeah, like we pretty much fill up the little planes <laughs> and, you know, the airports there, it's just a dirt airport, totally exposed to the elements. You get outside and then you either, depending on the time of year, you either get on like a four wheeler ATV to drive you to your house or you get on a snow machine like in the village there's no paved roads or anything like that and I think maybe two or three people own like big pickup trucks everyone else owns like these four-wheeler ATVs and snow machines and that's how you get around and it's like one square mile and about a thousand people and so yeah life is just really really different in Chivac yeah And for me, life in Chivac, I don't know, it was a really great experience as far as unschooling because, like, it was this really sort of insular little house on the prairie kind of thing. And, like, my, I don't know, I ended up kind of just having this idea that my whole focus was going to be on relationships while I was there because, like, it's just so inward focus and family focus. Like, there's, there's no movie theaters there there's no restaurants there like you just you got to be content with the people you're with and so 
like our, our two years in Alaska, like that was my big focus is on like really cultivating strong relationships with my kids and learning what they like and learning about them. And I don't know, I, I think it, as far as unschooling and our, our family's journey, like the, our time in Alaska was really valuable for that to, I don't know, just kind of force us to all kind of focus on each other and kind of work through things and I don't know, develop stronger relationships. Yeah. That's fascinating. Did, and the, the kids enjoyed it too, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were pluses and minus, like it, it, it was nice to have that sort of deep focus on one another, but at the same time, like it's also a place where like in the winter you only get sunlight from like 10 to 3, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And so like it's dark a lot of the time in the winter, but mm-hmm. conversely, like when you get, get there, like in, or in the summertime, you, you get light like well after midnight. So yeah, our, our sleeping schedules were insane living there. <laughs> <laughs> but, and for me, like it was, the the winter and the darkness was was really hard and I had to really work hard not to like develop seasonal depression and that sort of thing so like the two years was kind of enough (laughs) for us and when and also like it was hard if you want to go outside and play like especially you know it's like a 20 minute ordeal to get on all your gear and stuff like that and then like especially for the real little ones they would go outside for five minutes and be done and then you know spend 20 more minutes pulling off gear (laughs) so Mm -hmm. so I mean there's pluses and minus and for me like it was a really valuable time for us but it wasn't like a forever home Mm -hmm. so And when we were searching for our next place to go, like we were really, really open. We were, you know, we, we looked at like Hong Kong. We were seeing if there were places uh, in Africa and, you know, we were thinking about Tanzania. And so we cast a a really sort of wide net and we're really open about where we're going to go. And I don't know, Saudi Arabia just ended up kind of being sort of the, the best, job combination that allowed us the most flexibility to sort of travel to other places. And after you live in Chivac, like, you know, lots of people who move to Riyadh, especially women, as you can imagine, feel like it's really closed in and, Mm -hmm. you know, they have a hard time making friends with other people and stuff like that. So, but for, for me moving from Chivac, like I go to Riyadh and I'm like, yeah, I can go to a restaurant. I can go. (laughs) It feels a lot more open to me in comparison because there, you know, we can get on in the car and go on a road trip to the beach or we can go, you know, there's a lot more strangely, there's a lot more flexibility. And then in Riyadh that it's, it's actually a good jumping off point to travel to other places. So like, you know, we can go to Jordan or Egypt or, um, we've been over to the UAE, Qatar and Oman. And so, and those places, like as a larger family, we can travel by car because as a larger family flying places, um, on your own dime at least is kind of cost prohibitive. And then part of, like a typical sort of expat package is um, a lot of times flight benefits. And so 
what we do is they pay for our family to fly back to Georgia each year and we can build in layovers to different places. Like uh, last year we spent a week in uh, France on the way there and uh, 10 days in Italy on the way back. And so that job allows us the flexibility to do that. Whereas as a larger family, whereas some other places we wouldn't be able to do that kind of things. So it works out well. And I've enjoyed actually, I don't know, the, the projects and working in um, Riyadh, like I host uh, a homeschool um, meeting and I guess I kind of take an unschooling take on, on the homeschool meeting that I host for weekly in Riyadh is that I call it a video of the week meeting. And we basically watch some sort of uh, online video um, usually like a TED talk or something like that. And that relates to education, education theory and something like that. And then that's kind of what the parents watch. And then the kids just get to play and do whatever they want. And so that's my homeschool meeting, um, that I do for them. And then, and the kids have enjoyed that and they've gotten to know other kids from the community. Like most of the people in our group are not, expats like most of the kids my kids have gotten to know are well are not western expats i should say they're most of the kids are egyptian expats that my kids have gotten to know that's fascinating i i love that that uh idea of for your for your group with uh watching a video it gives you something to chat about and gives the kids time to play that sounds like an awesome meeting <laughs> yeah <laughs> And it's really cool to hear how now this time for your third uh, location, how you guys, it didn't kind of come out of the blue or kind of fall into your lap, but you purposefully found a place. And, and now it sounds like you're able to take advantage of so much more of the possibilities of, of uh, where you chose to relocate to, because uh, now you had an idea of, of, more of an idea of what would be um, helpful for you, like all that that ability to uh, drive all sorts of places, and even starting to play with flights. That's something uh, we started doing as well in the last few years with the layovers and that kind of stuff. So that's really cool to see how that's progressed for you guys. Right, it's been it's been an interesting adventure, and and, and our kids actually they uh, when people find out you're flying with six kids there you know their <laughs> eyes get really wide but our kids actually fly really really well and and you know I guess I feel, I feel like I should say knock on wood or something like that but they <laughs> they do I don't know they they fly really well and it's usually mostly uneventful and I just try to kind of go with the flow of you know we're just just get everyone where we're going make sure we have all our stuff and sort of not try to manage them too much and that works well for us yeah that sounds awesome um I would like to move uh over to your website now and your blog because uh I I really did have a lot of fun reading around there <laughs> and I wanted to uh talk to you a bit about you have a uh, great four-part series about hard work so you're digging into the question, do people do hard things even when they are not forced to do them? And I love digging in that because to me, that was such a cool um, insight into into people in general and into uh, one of the great surprises of unschooling, you know, something that I didn't expect at first, but discovered along the way. So I love digging into that. 
Um, and I enjoyed the connection that you made between the conventional method for encouraging hard work, which is, you know, oh, you get this thing do done and you get uh, some sort of reward for for a job well done, right? Whether it's a mark or a sticker or or um, even, you know, monetary prizes or whatever. But right. uh, yeah, the relate the connection between that conventional method and the development of a sense of entitlement. So I was hoping you could explain that connection for us. Sure. So, right. The conventional thinking is, um, you know, you have a behavior you want and you either punish or reward to kind of push the, the person, mm -hmm. the child towards that behavior. And, and, you know, Alfie Cohn has written a book and lots um, wonderful things on and kind of looking into the research and saying, you know, the research says this doesn't get you where you want to go. Um, as far as, you know, making somebody just motivated out of their own goodwill to do this thing. And I don't know. And it's basically kind of, um, so with the rewards and punishment, I, I like to think of it as kind of a, like a pull the string. So, for either good or bad, you're pulling the string to kind of with rewards or punishment to get um, a person to do what you want. And most parents and people, the idea is you're pulling the string for good. You're you're getting them to do like this good thing. This good outcome is the reason why you're why you're doing it. But the thing I kind of started thinking about is um, uh, Stanley Milgram did um, experiments on people, and this is kind of. Um, in response to uh, World War II and Nazi Germany and like all the atrocities that happened there. And his question was, well, how, why, why would people do this? How, you know, how could good people do this? And I, I had read other books about, you know, that walked you through like the, these sort of normal average German citizens and like all the small little steps that happened to get them to like a place where they would never thought they would be of atrocities that happen. And so Milgram's experiments had people um, separated and the subjects of the experiments thought they were pushing a button to uh, harm a person in another room that they could not see, but they could hear. And the only thing um, telling them to do that or, you know, um, imposing upon them to do that was just somebody in authority telling them to do that. Like there was no other coercion or anything like that. And the Milgram experiments found that overwhelmingly most people, even though it clearly would go against their conscience, continued to do what they thought was harm to the other person. And it just got me thinking about like this idea of I don't know, conditioning people with pulling the string that Milgram calls this the agentic state where that basically you, you relinquish responsibility or you think you relinquish responsibility to the, the person in authority. And so you say, well, I don't have to be responsible for this because the person in authority is responsible for this. And it stops you from like really considering your decisions, like whether or not you, what I'm actually doing is a good idea or a bad idea because the person in, in authority has thought of that for me. And with re rewards and punishment, like the pulling the string, that's kind of what we're conditioning for is that you don't have to think about this anymore. 
because I've thought about it and you're going to do it because I've thought about it. And that's, you know, you're going to keep doing that. And it's, so it conditions them to not think about, um, critically consider their decisions. And then when you kind of also think about, um, the rewards and punishment, uh, in light of, uh, entitlement, then that kind of goes back to you condition people to only want to do a thing if they're getting some sort of benefit, whether that benefit be lack of punishment or an actual reward, rather than this sort of altruistic, uh, you know, uh, freely giving of yourself that you want to, um, you know, you want to give to another person. And so I, you know, the, the idea is you create like this reward economy that you're, you're paying for, um, the behavior you want or the goodness you want rather than, um, people just being good to, to be good and to freely give themselves. Um, and my, my thoughts on, um, sort of, so with unschooling, the idea is that um, people are, are naturally hardworking and giving and altruistic and that when you implement sort of a reward economy, the rewards and punishment, that sort of pushes people away from their natural inborn um, interest in, in doing this. Um, and... In part three, I talk about um, cultivating grit and like, and kind of where all of this started for me was that, well, well being Christian and kind of especially American and Christian, kind of those two, the hard work idea is kind of tied together in a lot of ways for, for that. And so like a lot of, um, I guess sort of responses to the thought of unschooling was that, well, it seems nice in theory, but, you know, it makes lazy people and that yeah. sort of thing. <laughs> and so I, I kind of wanted to explore the idea of like, well, is that really the case? And kind of what have other people written on this? And what, where's the research on this? And so like, even if you like pull it back and kind of start at, a baby, um, Alison Gopnik wrote the book, Philosophical Baby, The Scientist in the Crib. And she does this wonderful job of like talking about how just babies are these just super motivated and beings and they try again and again and again and again and fail again and again and again and again before they actually, you know, master this new skill. And they're also, you know, just hugely curious and they're in, you know, babies are into everything and we see this and it's normal for us. And then, but somehow we kind of think that that just gets flipped off. You know, mm -hmm. you just flip a switch kind of when you're five and you go to school, but, <laughs> yeah. and, and I don't think that's the case. Like nothing, nothing else works like that. And, you know, 
humanity where there's a flip switch. It's all like this over time and kind of long growing process with lots of different influences that how things change. <clears throat> and I so think maybe, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, I, I think it, it, it makes sense when you think about how um, that switch, when they start to go to school and, um, they hit that age where, where parents start to think they need to, you know, exert more control. And then that's where the rewards and the punishments start coming in. And that kind of subverts their whole intrinsic motivation, that, that whole grit that we see so clearly, you know, we talked to Alison Gobnick had a, her most recent book, The Gardener and the Carpenter. We talked about, um, Emma and I did on the podcast, uh, a couple couple of episodes ago um and she made such a great point that they are just they don't give up when they're young do they they're like little scientists they just keep trying and trying and trying and and it's just amazing to watch them at work isn't it and and you wonder we we just think that it's natural for that to disappear as they get older oh they don't want to learn anymore they but to realize that that's because of the environment, um, the huge shift in environment that we put on them between when they're young babies and toddlers um, and then when they start to hit school age. Uh, I think that's such a great point that it's um, that environment, especially the rewards and punishments that that you were talking about, how how effective I guess but effective in not the way that we're trying right Right. that's not that that's not the point of them in the first place you know we think we're um, rewarding them and they're gonna learn but they learn like the complete opposite don't they (laughs) right they yeah it's it's not where you want to go with this I mean, like in the moment you you get them to put the cup away or, you know, whatever the thing is. But, you know, in the in the long term, and I think that's kind of where most parents really want to go. They have these long term ideals. It doesn't get you where you want to go. And yeah, I like that. I really liked your point of how you're you're taking away when, when you're pulling your strings, you're taking away their agency, right? The, they right. learn to just sit back and wait to be told what to do because um, never once are are they, re- or not certainly not regularly, rewarded for, for proactive work, right? They're mostly right. just judged for whatever they chose to do, you know, that's right or that's wrong or... And that's it. And whenever you you're um, rewarding, even even, you know, positive feedback, you're taking um, you're you're stealing that intrinsic motivation away from them because all of a sudden, you know, they chose to do something and the parent says, oh, you know, great job. Thank you. All of a sudden. Right. That, it's, it's that interaction of- seems. Yeah, that interaction seems like it's for the parent now. Right. And it's still part of a reward economy because your, your interaction is either rewarding or punishing. Like if you're withholding, withholding that, it's like kind of like a punishment. And then, you know, by getting it, it's kind of like a reward. And 
so it's still, I don't know. You, and and a, a lot of us have, well, I mean, especially if you've gone through school, then yeah, you've been <laughs> conditioned this way. And so <laughs> you really, really, and you know, I still have to be really thoughtful about, you know, what I'm doing in my interactions because, you know, I'm, I, I guess I'm reconditioning myself. And so I'm having to, to think about it differently than, you know, I grew for you know, most of my years growing up. I had this large swath of experience that reinforced that that's how things should be done. You know, it's really fascinating. Random, random tidbit. <laughs> um, when I look at my website, the page that gets visited most, like from Google searches, is an article I wrote about, um, uh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> it's about, and, and obviously I go into, um, on the, you know, the other side, why that, um, why you're taking away, um, their agency. I like that word. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and interfering with their process. But it's fascinating that that is just such a huge um, topic. You know, I think so many of the of the searches are for people, you know, wanting to uh, say I'm so proud or, or looking for ways to express that, etc. So I think they might be a little shocked when they end up coming there. But it's it's amazing um, what a, uh, a wide topic that is, right? That it's people... It, it's ubiquitous, I think, within our culture right now is, it, you know, we're encouraged to to reward, to um, to praise, right? To right. Because, you know, we don't want to punish so much. But if you praise all the good stuff, um, you know, maybe they'll want to do more. But they're, like you said, they're wanting to do it um to get your positive reaction, right? To get that reward instead of uh, choosing it intrinsically and understanding the value for them in doing something. You're, you're just taking it all out of their hands, aren't you? Right. Yeah. For me, I, I, a lot of what helps me clarify like my, my interaction with my children is if like I, and a lot of people said this about if you think about that interaction with your spouse like how mm -hmm. would you react to you know him telling you 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 know he did something a pro finished his project at work or whatever would you say oh good job I'm really proud of you but you know you wouldn't you know I was like oh okay <laughs> yeah you'd be like oh I, I'm you know you'd be happy for them right that they feel good about it right right yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is. It's not a conversation that you would normally have. That, I think that that does sometimes help people um, start to realize the difference because, you know, I, as we said, it's it's just so natural in our culture right now to do that with children. I mean, that's how you raise children properly, right? Um <laughs> But yeah, it's not something that you would ever do in in a in a relationship. If you're just if you're having a connected, trusting, strong relation one on one relationship with another person, right? Right. That's a layer. Yeah, that's a layer that gets uh, 
that that's a layer uh, that adds to the disconnect in it, right? Because there's something else inside that relationship, not just the two people. Right. Yeah. And it and it also like it clarifies for me like when it's like when it's okay to like when I'm it's okay for me to give appreciation. Oh, Ralph, thanks for doing the dishes. I appreciate that, mm-hmm. or that makes my job easier. And it's not like it's not like a um, you know. A, a reward, a praise kind of thing. It's just, no, I, that I would tell my husband the same thing, you know, if, you know, it was my turn to do the dishes and he did them for me or whatever, you know, I would be, oh, thanks. And that's, and I think a lot of with unschooling, for me, it's a lot about kind of thinking through um, motivations and sort of where this action is coming from. Like when people talk about with curriculum, with unschooling and like all these sorts of things, like that people want to just have these rules about, okay, you can't do curriculum with unschooling or you can't, you know, Mm -hmm. do this. And it's a lot more nuanced than that. It's more about where's this coming from? Who's this coming from? And what, what is the interaction really about? Yeah, I think that's something that can can uh, really get in the way when you're first, uh, because we we do we're so conditioned and used we just want the rules, right? We just want to <laughs> even when we we go to unschooling, okay, well tell me how to do it, you know, right. and and I will do what I'm told. But the understanding um, understanding the principles and why it works and um, it is really what can help you um, create that lifestyle um, in your home and the relationships that are at the foundation of it. If you don't understand it and you're just going through the motions of it, the actions of it, it's it's really, that that's what often leads to chaos in families, right? Because right. everybody's just doing this, 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 because we're just, we're saying yes all the time and they're doing whatever they want and, and you're not having the conversations. Like you're two years in Alaska understanding so deeply getting to know each other and how you interact and how to move through all these different um, situations and and okay. everything that that's part of um, really deeply understanding unschooling and relationships and how you guys are going to be able to move forward with your days versus just boom 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 we're supposed to do this we're supposed to do that <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, okay, I guess uh, we should be watching the next question. <laughs> um, I would like to shift because to two larger families with six kids, I think you have some experience you'll be able to share with us. <laughs> so uh, with the diverging interests, I'm sure, of six children, I would love to hear a bit about what your unschooling days look like, um, you know, just going through the day and doing X, Y, and Z for everyone, with everyone. Yeah, I, I I think everybody, all unschoolers, have time with this question. What a typical day <laughs> looks like. Um, it you know it for us especially it varies depending on what location we're in and how old you know what's the age range of the kids and that sort of thing. But I don't know. In general, like I I kind of have a routine for myself, and the kids can kind of you know, hop on or hop off my routine as they see fit. So like, I like to 
get up and have my breakfast and stuff like that and do all my sort of self-care things sort of early in the morning. So I'm, I'm good to go for the day. And I, I kind of, I'm super introverted. So like I try to get up and do that kind of quietly by myself and have a, you know, breakfast with nobody else. Like I don't mind hanging out with them when they have their breakfast later in the day, but like I like to have, start my day off with quiet time. Cause that's helpful for me to kind of be my best self. And and then sort of throughout the day, I kind of have a goal of to kind of have at least one sort of face-to-face connected check-in with each child and kind of hear what they're working on today. Do they need any help with anything and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, kind of that's kind of tied in with just I like to do also sort of a quiet observation thing and that. I have sort of my, that's part of my sort of routine. And um, for us, in general, like throughout the year, I, I feel like we have my, since my husband still works in a school, we have, we still are bound by some things with a, a typical school year schedule. But for us, like, I think it's kind of flipped than what like a lot of school kids experience because like during the school year um, our kind of routine is to kind of be really more insular and quiet and sort of like our our day-to-day during the week is kind of really low-key like we do not have a lot going on during the week like the the busiest thing usually during our week when we're home in Riyadh is uh, to do the homeschool day once a week But other than that, like we're just kind of low key and we do my husband likes to do like some sort of outing on the weekend. So like one day during the weekend, we'll uh, go drive to like some usually some natural site and see that. Um, And our time during the day, like during the school year when we have kind of our slow days is um, during the day before my husband gets home, it's the time is really flexible. My kids, um, most of my kids know how to fix their own meals. I usually help the younger ones fix theirs, but we don't have set meal times during the day. We just kind of, everyone sort of fixes themselves something, uh, when they want to eat during the day. And then we have a, um, a dinner together after my husband gets home in the evenings. And a lot of times, I don't know, we kind of get on a routine and off a routine of like doing regular things in the evenings. Like, um, <laughs> the, one, the one that's stuck is movie night. So yeah, we, we usually will do, have, have a movie night on the, the day before the weekend over there is Thursday. So usually on Thursday nights, we'll, um, have homemade pizza and a movie, But, you know, other than that, sometimes we'll plan things like uh, um, we have a pool in our building, so we'll go swimming one night or do stuff like that. Um, And so, like, during the day, it's kind of really freeform and flexible. And then in the evening, it's a little more structured because we have a set dinner time. And a lot of times we'll try to do games or something sort of more planned in the evening with the whole family there. Um, And then... But then that's kind of our, our school year routine schedule. And it, it's it's really low key. Like I'm I really don't like adding things to our schedule. Like pe- people keep asking me about, you know, what all are your kids involved in? I'm like, nothing. We don't, I don't want to be involved in anything. Their life is busy enough. This is this is enough. And 
because during the summer, you know, we're traveling to a bunch of different places and we're, you know, even when we're in the U.S., like we took a road trip to Washington, D.C. And like it's a lot, lot more busy during the summer. And so we have these few months where it's super busy. And so I like to like when it's the school year to just have a big swath of time where we like all the activities are sort of, you know, projects around the house and that sort of thing. And like sort of really, really family focused. And yeah, that's kind of how we do things. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds very nice. <laughs> I, and I think um, that that certainly sounds like our first few years of unschooling too. Um you know, the kids just had so many things that they just personally wanted to get into. Um, and we didn't have to go out a lot for it, right? Right. I mean, there's tons of games and there's just so many things to do at home that they were perfectly happy to have all that time just under their own control. Right, right. And, the, and there's always, you know, some art project going on, some big yeah. play scene going on. And, you know, and that's very typical for our house. Or there's some sort of block tower or, you know, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's like a whole world of, of stuffed animals set up. And yes, <laughs> yes. Pirate, pirate battles and, 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 you know, then there's that two, three weeks in a row where you're making Play-Doh every couple of days because there's this huge <laughs> yeah. town. And then that there's that one summer when we had the Lego table outside and these <laughs> elaborate villages were built. And, <laughs> and then there's the, all the time with, um, oh, I remember uh, we did, uh, oh, made puppets like uh, Mario and Luigi and all these <laughs> game puppets. And they would just put, um, they would just pause like a background on the TV and then they'd use their puppets and they'd do the, these elaborate shows <laughs> of their own making at the time. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, to to have that uh, time and the space to just, like, get totally in your head with whatever is catching your attention is awesome. <laughs> um, so, uh, last question. I was hoping that you might share um, some tips for larger families starting to move to unschooling because I know... That's one of the questions I get pretty regularly on my blog, et cetera. Um, you know, because we have uh, four, three, four, five kids, and, you know, I'm trying to say yes more and trying to help them do uh, things that they're interested in, and I, I'm feeling frazzled. They, they um, are having a hard time imagining how to shift from just, telling everybody, you know, yes, no, this is what we're doing to start incorporating um, their input into their days, basically. So I was just wondering if you had any tips for larger families who are starting to move to unschooling. Right. Well, the best way that I've kind of come to think about it is like with, well, when you have a larger family, like you feel in the beginning, you feel like, you know, you're moving an army and that sort of mentality. <laughs> and so, 
like it's hard to kind of get away from just managing everybody and everything. And so like my thought is, is okay, so instead of shifting, you know, shifting away from, you know, managing your children and all these people work on managing yourself and managing the environment. So you really focus on like for me, I, I focus on self-care is really important because I need to have the energy and the focus and to, to be able to you know work with my kids in whatever way they need. So like I've, I've kind of developed sort of strict boundaries about, no, I'm going to sit here quietly. I'm going to get up super early and sit and have a quiet breakfast because kind of that's kind of what I need to, you know, happily focus on the rest of the day. And also managing your environment is really big. Like work on, I know in unschooling circles, I don't know, talking about minimalism, I don't know. It kind of has kind of a two edged thing. Cause like you want to feed your kids interests, but also, you know, I think a lot of moms, especially in larger families, when you, you times those things times six or more or whatever, that it becomes overwhelming. So I think, I don't know, for me, minimalism has really, or embracing as much minimalism as kind of an American family can stand, um, <laughs> it has really helped to kind of simplify things. So like, like during the day, we have one set of dishes for everyone and we rinse and reuse them. So, and I wash dishes once uh, once a day in Alaska, we didn't have a dishwasher. So I like doing it in the morning, but we have a dishwasher now, so you can do it in the, in the evenings and they're ready to go for the next day. Um, and so having kind of less stuff overall has, has helped with that. And like with their wardrobes, like when they were really little, like we would, (laughs) and we weren't even unschooling, but like they would, do what I call the everything must go sale where everything in their drawers got pulled out and onto the floor. So like what, (laughs) what we ended up shifting to was like a lot fewer clothes and just meant, and I, I don't buy clothes that need folding. I don't, you know, I don't, I buy clothes that can be all be washed with different colors. So we don't fold, we don't sort. And then I, (laughs) So lots, and I know those things don't sound like they have to do with unschooling, but it simplifies your life and frees you up to focus more on relationships and more on kind of, oh, let's work on this fun project because you don't always have that chatter in the back of your head of, I'm not getting this done. I'm not getting this done. I got to do this. I got to do that because, and, you know, in your home, as many wipeable surfaces as you can and that like helps and I, you know, stash little bottles of vinegar and uh, water in a rag in different places to make it super simple, like for the kids to help clean up, like even if they do it imperfectly, that's kind of way better than not being done at all. So rearranging your house to allow the kids to do as much for themselves, allow them to dress themselves, fix their own food. I mean, like it's going to be done imperfectly, but you know, that's kind of how we learn and we get to a point where it's, you know, you're like one day it's like, oh, wow, you're a really good cook and (laughs) and that sort of thing. So you facilitate the kids doing kind of as much for themselves as they can. That, that has helped. And I also have, and well, and depending on which home it is, um, I also do kind of zones, I guess, like, um, like for my bedroom, like I don't, 
I don't like to keep toy boxes and stuff in there. Like I, I like to keep it kind of very much an adult room and like not sort of a kid room. And so like, I'm kind of particular about that boundary. Like I don't, if a kid comes in there with a toy, I'm not cranky about it, but just in general, like if something's left in there, I'll take it and move it to a room where we keep toys. And this, our current house, I do that with the living room also. And so I have like, uh, we're, I'm experimenting with having a few nicer things out on display, which uh, larger families will understand this, that <laughs> yeah, for years, it was just, you know, the joke, we can't have nice things. And so, <laughs> so like, yeah, I have one room that we're, I, I put a few things out and we kind of see how it goes. And that room, we don't store toys in. And, and again, it's just like, if they bring it in there, it's no big deal. And we just take it out at the end of the day and store it in a different room where toys can go. And so kind of having zones helps me to sort of, if this is a zone that I've sort of designated for the kids to kind of do their thing in, and it's a mess, that doesn't bother me as much. So, cause I mean, that's what they're supposed to be doing there. And so like in, I can just go sit in the living room where it's <laughs> reasonably tidy because we don't keep toys and stuff in there. And that kind of helps me sort of to be more relaxed about, um, the, the chaos and stuff like that to simplify life. And so I can kind of get in there with them. Yeah. And it makes it easier. Well, I really, really like that, uh, that's a ton of tips about the environment. That's a great way to uh, to think about it because you went you mentioned the point where you know you don't want to um, be feeling not guilt but in the back of your mind thinking I should be doing this uh, you know I need to be doing this but there is so many ways to just manage the environment um, where you're not feeling that pull right right yeah like like the way you talked about the dishes and, and having toys in certain places and, and the, the clothes, like just managing, finding ways to manage the environment within which you guys are all in. That makes it just so much easier for you guys to engage. Like you said, you can, doesn't matter that the room's messy where, you know, the kids have all their things, but, and you can go in there and just, have fun with them, right? right? Because, you know, that's where that happens <laughs> without worrying about, you know, having in the back of your mind that, the, you know, the living room is a mess or whatever, whatever. I think that's a, a really great point. And I was sitting here listening to you thinking, yeah, that worked so well for us too. I remember when, when the kids were younger and first home and, and we just put everything down. They made a nice big family kind of room down in the basement, right? Right. And, and a, and a big closet that was just full of their stuff and we could go down there. And when I went down there, it was just relaxed. This was, this is kid time, you know, this is, let's just get into whatever we feel like getting into. Right. And then we could go upstairs for movie night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Tammy. I had a lot of fun. Oh, thank you so much. I have too. Oh, that's wonderful. And before we go, where's the best place for people to connect with you online? Um, I occasionally write at starryeyedpragmatist.com. Uh, it's very infrequent, though. So <laughs> <laughs> I love that name, by the way. <laughs> uh, I will definitely have uh, links to that in the show notes. And thank you very much. And have a great day with the kids. Thank you. You too. 
Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the Tuck Talks. For six years, I hosted the Toronto Unschooling Conference. It was an amazing experience and I loved meeting many wonderful unschooling families. Though I no longer host the conference, the unschooling insights shared by the amazing speakers over the years are timeless. You can listen to all 25 talks for free on my website at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash conference. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.